Hello, friends, and welcome back to Technology Now, a weekly show from Hewlett Packard Enterprise where we take what's happening in the world and explore how it's changing the way organizations are using technology. We're your hosts, Aubrey Lovell and Michael Bird, and in this episode, we're taking a trip to another plane of existence with an in depth look at the metaverse. We'll be looking at whether it's finally coming of age and about to enter the mainstream, what's changing to encourage the transition, and what opportunities and challenges might open up for organizations. Nice. And as always, if you're the kind of person who needs to know why what's going on in the world matters to your organization, this podcast is made just for you. Subscribe to your podcast app of choice so you don't miss out. All right, let's get into it. Right then, Aubrey, I think it's fair to say the metaverse has been viewed as a bit of a gimmick in recent years. The concept of an alternate digital reality has existed in the gaming sphere for years, with interactive online communities cropping up in the late 90s and early 2000s, which let you, without mentioning brand names, play in the snow with your fellow Antarctic birds or decorate your own hotel, among others. But in 2021, the concept was given a huge financial NPR boost with Mark Zuckerberg announcing a multi-billion dollar investment in the metaverse. With an increasing interest in AR and VR, improved compute, and now the prevalence of smartphones and edge computing worldwide, could it be time for the metaverse to become part of our universe? Well, Aubrey, the numbers are heading in the right direction. The metaverse is currently valued at around 230 billion US dollars. But forecasts suggest it could be worth a staggering 3 trillion US dollars by 2030. Wow. Even if it just gets halfway there, that's incredible growth. It is. It is. Yeah. And I think, you know, we should just kind of start this off with really defining the metaverse. Like, what is it, right? It really is, if you look at it, a digital twin of our society where people have jobs, friends, communities, and even social spaces. So it's a complete twin, except you can probably fast forward your commute to work, which is definitely a perk. But we exist within it through our devices using AR or VR tools. And it's also worth mentioning that the metaverse isn't necessarily one thing. Some thought leaders may argue that standards will be established just as they have been for the internet as we know it, meaning all the different metaverse platforms and apps will exist within one space and follow a common set of rules. But others suggest that there may be several or even dozens of distinct metaverses within their own standards. So we're thinking like PC versus Mac. Yes, it's clearly a universe but of opportunity for individuals and organizations. But there are still, as we're already starting to see, a lot of questions which need answers. Joining us today is Leslie Shannon. Leslie is head of trend and innovation scouting at Nokia and has just written a book on the metaverse and what it could mean for us. Leslie, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, my pleasure to be with you. Thank you. So we have defined in brief what the metaverse is. But what, in your opinion, is changing to make it so mainstream now? Okay, the word metaverse has gotten a lot of baggage associated with it. Back in the day, it used to really be shorthand for a mixed reality experience, so a visual experience, the union of the digital and the physical, ranging from the fully digital of a virtual reality headset to the mix of the digital uh, and the physical world of augmented reality. But It's gotten also kind of tied up with Web3 implementations, the term has, and with Mark Zuckerberg's 
tilting it more heavily towards virtual reality. And what's happening is um, the metaverse term is kind of now shedding those, the Web3 and the only virtual reality associations and going back to really spatial computing. It's actually quite, we, everybody in the industry, we were laughing when Apple released their Vision Pro announcement. They only talked about spatial computing. They did not use the M word once. And that was an attempt to really clear up that what the industry is focused on is the visual experience of mixing the digital and the physical in our everyday lives. And that is fundamentally the metaverse. You sort of answered this already, but why is it taking so long to take off? And why has it not got much attention before? All right, so I'm going to stop you right there. I'm going to stop you right there. The first hardware, commercially successful hardware that made internet access possible came out in 1977. Wow. Yeah. And then over the 80s and the early 90s, that was the time to develop the infrastructure. TCP IP, World Wide Web, all of these kind of protocols and not only, and the hardware equipment um, and the connectivity. And so it wasn't until 20 years after that first hardware, and by that I mean the first like home computers, that we got Google and Amazon and everything. And so the hardware for mixing the digital and the physical in the world around us has only been around you know, if you're looking at a virtual reality headset, less than a decade. If you're looking at a smartphone with a camera, only about a decade. And so we are still very much in the infrastructure building phase of this. We still don't even have the equivalent of TCP IP, the ability to share a file from one world in the metaverse with another world in the metaverse. So it's not that we're slow. It's that I think Mark Zuckerberg kind of with his name change of the company shone the spotlight on this area a little before prime time. This is the infrastructure building time. So when you look at the companies that are deeply invested in the metaverse, Qualcomm, Nokia, NVIDIA, these are all the back end building the infrastructure companies and they are working feverishly behind the scenes to make the magic happen. So we talk a lot about digital twins, right? And do you think that the metaverse will achieve its goal of becoming a digital twin for society? Ooh, okay. That's a very good question. We're seeing huge utility in digital twin function in the industrial metaverse for sure. Being able to have a digital twin of a process or a system that you can then run what if queries on is saving millions and millions and millions of dollars for companies who don't have to do this, build the thing in the in the physical world first. Like BMW famously um, has built, and Siemens now in Germany, Germany. They're building entire factories as digital twins years before building the actual factory and then running people through it with virtual reality headsets to make sure that it is ergonomically as optimized as possible. So digital twin in, in the industrial world, no question about the, the utility there. But ooh, a digital twin for society. Hmm. See, this actually gets back to the there's another kind of bifurcation of that, the term metaverse, where originally the term metaverse included both augmented and virtual reality. But then because Meta has the MetaQuest, which is a virtual reality headset, the reason I keep pointing to Mark Zuckerberg is he's the one who really switched that term to mean more that fully digital world. Um, and okay, this is, a, this is a personal opinion more than anything else, but I love virtual reality. I love putting on a headset and playing games and, and meeting other people in virtual reality. 
However, when you put on a virtual reality headset, you cut yourself off from the rest of the physical world. That's a problem. Nobody's going to spend all their time in a world like that. And in fact, if you look at the majority of people who are in fully digital environments, they're not accessing them through virtual reality headsets. They're accessing them through two-dimensional screens, largely PCs and gaming consoles. So in a way, yes, I think that people will be using these fully digitalized worlds to play out a lot of things that otherwise happen in social settings, but I'm not so sure that immersive, which is kind of a subtext of your question, I'm not sure they're always going to be immersive worlds. I find that digital twin of society, but it may live in a two-dimensional screen rather than a three-dimensional screen. Got it. So there's obviously, you know, I think you hit on something really important around the psychology of it and how there has to be a balance. Do you foresee anything to do with like how we would potentially balance that world between the physical and the virtual? Oh, yes, absolutely. And in fact, Again, you know, Apple's returning to the phrase uh, spatial computing is really important here. Well, and actually, if you look at what the, uh, the applications that Apple highlighted during their Vision Pro launch, you see your physical world around you in every instance that they showed. You know, it's just putting up, you know, here's your computer screen, but you're still standing in your physical office where the demos that they were doing. And so this merging of the digital and the physical this is the true purpose of the metaverse because the metaverse is not about removing you from your physical world long term. It's about augmenting it with digital information and entertainment because the problem that needs to be solved, and this is actually something that I address in my, in my book, that uh, interconnected realities, it just came out. What is the problem that the metaverse solves? And the fundamental problem that the metaverse solves is that right now, in order for us to access computing, in most cases, we have to look at a two-dimensional screen. And that two-dimensional screen is taking all of our attention, both in our offices and our laptops on our desks, and in a smartphone as we're walking around in our day-to-day life. And that is stealing our gaze from the actual physical world and the people and the places in it. This two-dimensional screen is completely hogging our attention and our time. Relocating that computing from that two-dimensional screen and putting it into most likely some kind of head-worn device that lets us get access to the same kinds of information, but that is integrated with our visual reconnecting directly with the world around us, that's the holy grail here. And that's where everybody's headed. I'm sold. I'm in. But... (laughs) But I knew, I knew it. (laughs) (laughs) What challenges still remain? Like what hurdles Ah! to overcome? Are we talking like technical, (laughs) legislation, cross-platform standards? Oh, uh, everything. Yes, technical and legislation (laughs) and cross-platform. Right now, the biggest challenge is hardware. And there's a lot of physics problems that need to be solved. HTE has said uh, you can expect something, kind of the first eyeglass form factor headset around 2027. That was the, the last thing that I heard from them on that. And we're certainly, Nokia, we're interested in providing the connectivity to this. Because right now, most metaverse experiences run on Wi-Fi inside the house. As soon as you have an eyeglasses form factor, Now you can take the metaverse with you as you leave the house and go out into the world, which means we need to actually have the mobile network support this. So we and other companies right now, we're gathering the requirements for the standards for 6G, which will come out in 2030. And I can tell you, we're looking very heavily at what kind of mobile support will be needed for this kind of eyeglasses form factor, being able to 
have digital information and entertainment integrated with the world that we see as we move through it. Because of course, the magic factor here that has just been added is generative AI. So imagine being able to, you know, you've got this thing that's on all the time and you can see through it to the world. And with generative AI, being able to use natural language to access information and to create digital visuals and to write programs at any moment as you're just moving through the world, you know, this is, this is it. The superpower of XR, of mixed reality, um, extended reality, is that it's going to be the gateway towards being able to access generative AI as we move through our physical world on a day-to-day basis. Wow. Wow. I just saw your eyebrows go up. So yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So last question, possibly the most important one for our show. Why should large enterprise level IT and tech companies care about the metaverse? Oh, this is so exciting. Okay. (laughs) Nokia and EY just released a study. If you Google Nokia, EY, industrial metaverse, we looked at multiple industries and multiple augmented and virtual reality implementations that have already been made by businesses. And the monetary measurable business results exceeded their expectations every single time. So whether it's virtual reality or augmented reality, whether the industry, whether it's it's automotive or transportation or logistics, every single virtual and augmented reality implementation exceeded business expectations. It saved them more money in terms of sustainability or in terms of productivity or in terms of efficiency or in terms of reducing travel. And what I'm finding, one question I get a lot is, how can I make this happen in my company? My company seems old and slow and nobody's interested. I will say that the the companies that have been moving on this already, because this is an early technology, it tends to be a single hero promoter who has enough power in the organization or enough money in the organization to make it possible. So if you're listening to this and you have enough budget or enough power to make it happen at your company, go for it because that's going to make you the golden star of the next couple of years. Thanks so much, Leslie. We'll come back to you in a moment with questions from the audience, so do not go anywhere. Next up, it's down to you, our audience. As we open the floor for you to give your recommendations on books which have changed the way that you look at the world, life, and business in the last 12 months. Now, they could be technology-based, they could have changed the way that you work, or they could have just made you look at the world in a slightly different way. And as always, if you want to share your recommendations, there's a link in the podcast description. Just record a voice note on your phone and send it on over. Hi, my name is Kristen Merritt. I am Chief Marketing Officer at Alsys Flight. The book that I recommend is a Fred Kaufman book called Conscious Business. One of the problems that can crop up in tech is the need to continuously sell, 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 more, 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 make customers, keep customers happy, don't shed customers, retain, 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 right? The idea around conscious business is actually deciding the business that's best for you and finding the customers that you work best with and being able to let go when things go wrong. And I was really taken aback by the kind of more of an honest approach rather than the aggressive, you know, win at all costs approach uh, to business that really kind of resonated with me. 
Thanks for that. Uh, now, Leslie, have you read any books recently which have changed your perspective? Or indeed, have you written any? Yes, it is called Interconnected Realities. And it's asking the question, what problem does the metaverse solve? And looking at companies that are out there actually already building things. I've got like, I think over 100 use cases of actual metaverse examples that go well beyond the kinds of things that I was able to talk about here today. But it's available on Amazon. And uh, if you're interested in what I had to say today, you know, go check it out because there is so much that's happening in this world. And it goes to a little bit about the hardware and the technical challenges that are needed. It's not a technical book. It's written specifically for the average person to be able to understand what is this technology going to be. But understanding the hardware challenges means that you, as you watch technology develop over the next decade, just as a regular person, you'll know what it means in terms of how quickly the metaverse is coming. I've already had people tell me like, I had no idea what the metaverse was and now I understand it all. Thank you so much. So, <laughs> Ah, that's wonderful. That's so exciting. It's definitely going in my cart to read. So I can't wait. Oh, great. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, it's time for questions from the audience. You've been sending in your questions to Leslie on the topic of the metaverse, and we've pulled out a couple for you now. All right, so the first one comes from Elizabeth from Vancouver, who wants to know what problems you think the metaverse is actually trying to solve. Yeah, and I, I spoke about this already. Um, there's a couple of problems. One is the two-dimensional screen problem. And so free and computing from that. And then the other one is really the erasing distance. And it's not just distance between people, but it's the distance between you and a place or you and information. And so bringing you together with people, places, information, whatever, in a way that transcends what's possible in the physical world. That's really the problem that's been solved, uh, that the metaverse is solving. Now, one of the... Um, challenges that still remains is time zones. Mm. <laughs> the metaverse does not address time zones. The globe is still a round ball and it's still dark on one side and light on the other. So that one we still have to work on. <laughs> Got it. Our second question is Alex from Santa Fe who wants to know where you think the touch points will be between our real world and the metaverse. And I think we talked about this a little bit as well previously, but specifically will our jobs, bank accounts, and even social security be tied in? Yeah. Um, I I talked a lot about the industrial metaverse in particular and kind of the advent of um, generative AI um, in terms of accessing corporate data. And I think we're... Alvin Graylin talks about it being the three-dimensional internet. So everything that's in the internet, yeah, sure. Let's move it into three dimensions and let's move it into your physical world with some kind of physical representation. That for me is, is really where it's going. As far as us living our worlds in some kind of three-dimensional digital thing in a headset 100% of the time, oh, absolutely not. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Leslie. And again, we'll drop a couple of links in the podcast description for more on these topics. Right then, we are getting towards the end of the show, which means it is time for This, this week, week in, in history. history, which is a look at the monumental events in the world of business and technology, which has changed our lives. Now, Aubrey, I don't know if you remember, but the clue last week was ring, ring. 
Um, hello. I'm just reading off the script, I promise. Anyway, Aubrey, <laughs> it was, of course, the first call on the newly completed transcontinental telephone line taking place between New York and San Francisco this week in 1914. Nice. After work has laid more than four 1,750 miles of telephone cables, Theodore Vail, the president of AT&T, made the first test call. But it wasn't until six months later that the service would begin commercially to coincide with the World's Fair. Very nice. Well, next week, the clue is happy birthday to the mother of all mm. computers. Oh, I'm not sure I know what that one is. Any idea? I can't tell you. Oh, okay. I'll find <laughs> out next week then. <laughs> Well, that brings us to the end of Technology Now for this week. Keep those suggestions for life-changing books coming using the link in the podcast description. And in the meantime, thank you so much to our guest, Leslie Shannon, Head of Trend and Innovation Scouting at Nokia. And to our listeners, thank you so much for joining us. Technology Now is hosted by Aubrey Lovell and me, Michael Bird. This episode was produced by Sam Datapoulin and Zoe Anderson with production support from Harry Morton, Alicia Kempson, Alison Paisley, Camilla Patel, and Alex Podmore. Technology Now is a Lower Street production for Hewlett-Packard Enterprise. And we'll see you next week. Make it a great day. 